Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about the process of preparing physical meat and the pleasure of eating it, and the process of preparing spiritual meat and the pleasure of it for us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Passover is coming up and will be here in just a few weeks. And Tom Cantor has an incredible teaching on the personal relevance of the Passover. Now, it's an insightful DVD that really teaches the Passover like you've never heard it preached or taught before, only in the way that Tom Cantor can do. Now, this edifying presentation from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53 is a two-disc DVD production that brings to life the process and passion of the Passover lamb for the Jewish people and the personal relevance of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of our lives today. Now, it's a great gift to give any Christian or even an unbeliever at Easter or Passover time. And it's a great gift to give to a Jewish person that you know that may be searching for the truth and the evidence of the scriptures and who the Messiah really is. Now, you can call us today, and this is our resource of the month. It's a $20 or more donation. We'll send you this powerful two-disc DVD teaching from Tom Cantor on the Passover from Exodus 12 and Isaiah 53. Call us today, now or after the program, at one 800 247 3051 1-800-247-3051. Again, that's 1-800-247-3051. You can also go online to friendshipwithgod.org, to our online bookstore, and purchase this as well. You can also donate online or sign up for Tom Cantor's Daily Devotional Verse online or sign up for a free gift to give to a lost Jewish person, all at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org or again, one 800 247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching program. Have you ever sat down and asked the question, this question, if I could do anything that I wanted to do, what would it be? Right? You know, if you won the lottery, if you played the lottery, and then you won the lottery, and you could do whatever you wanted to do, what would you choose to do? You know, I just went to the, my dentist, and one of his patients won the lottery. And so he went around and bought lottery tickets for all the people in the dentist's office and then showed them that he bought the new cars. He bought three very expensive cars. You know. And so that's what he did. That's what he wanted to do. So what would make me, what would make you the happiest? What would you like to do? You know, what would make you feel like, you know, like eating a big, delicious steak? Now, that's good. You know, as you can see, I'm not a vegetarian. If I were a vegetarian... Then maybe I'd say eating a big, delicious eggplant. <laughs> but that feeling, like you've gone without eating all day, and you're really hungry, and you just sit down to eat a delicious steak, some meat cooked perfectly, you know, the enjoyment of eating that meat. I mean, just think about that feeling and the pleasure of eating that meat and the full feeling of the satisfaction after you've eaten it. Cheryl and I just got back from a three-day vacation this last week. And every night we went to a different steak restaurant <laughs> to enjoy what? Not eggplant. You know, meat. <laughs> and I like to go to a good steak restaurant like Ruth Chris or Outback or Lowry's Prime Rib. That's one of my favorites. And Fleming's. Because when you walk into those places, the smell is so great. It's so great in there. And you know how you can tell that it's a really good restaurant? You sit there and you listen and people are laughing. You hear laughter. Because they're very happy. In those meat restaurants, people are laughing. You know, our first son, David, he goes to the grocery store. He goes to the butcher there at Ralph's. And he gets him to cut these two-inch thick New York steaks. He buys them in bulk. And you open up his freezer and they're all stacked in there like soldiers at attention, you know. (laughs) 
And he has this elaborate marination process with the mesquite chips and the salt and the liquid smoke. And he heats up his barbecue so it's hotter than Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, you know. <laughs> it frankly melts. And our second son, you know, he, he's all into getting the grill at the perfect temperature and getting the meat just right before it hits the grill at the perfect temperature. When he takes it out, he covers it with foil afterwards, so it's the perfect, he calls it the resting period, you know. He's describing the fibers and the muscle and everything, you know. I told him he wasted his time getting a Ph.D. in immunology. He should have gotten a Ph.D. in meat. <laughs> when the best steak restaurant I've ever gone to is Rincon Argentinian Steak Restaurant. It's in the Jewish section of Mexico City called Polanco. And at this restaurant, it's all about the process of it all and the great feeling, this great feeling of after you eat the steak. And so first, what they did there is they bring out several pieces of uncooked meat to the table, and then there's a discussion, and you select which one. Then the discussion that needs selected, and then those pieces of meat are not lean. They have fat marbled all through it. Like in Japan at these good teppanyaki restaurants, you don't eat a lot of meat because it's kind of expensive, but that meat has a lot of fat in it, so it has a lot of flavor, and it's very satisfying. But anyways, back at the Rincon restaurant in Mexico City, there's this detailed discussion of how the meat's to be cooked and what kind of seasonings. And even they have different kinds of wood, you know, and what kind of wood they're going to put it over and how far. And they have this crank so they can adjust, you know, the height of the grill, so how, how, how it's going to be from there and how long it's going to be cooked and how the outside's going to look and how the inside's going to I mean, it's an experience. And then when they bring it to the table, you know, like it's some kind of a masterpiece, they slice it so you can see the inside and outside. It's quite an experience. And you don't sit there and eat that meat fast. You sit there and you enjoy every bite. It's such pleasure. You savor each bite. You know, it's a great pleasure, this whole process of selecting the meat and so forth. And it's just downright pleasurable. I remember one time we went out to dinner with Don Hammond who you know, at the Peoria's restaurant. And Don ordered the prime rib. And he talked about it before it came. And when it came, I mean, he was a show, you know, in itself. We just kind of like lost interest in what we were eating just to watch Don enjoy this prime rib. He would put the salt on it. He would take a bite. He would shut his eyes. (laughs) And he'd make noises like, mmm, you know. And you call the waiter and say, can I have just a little bit of A1 sauce and ketchup, of all things? Anyway, he says, ketchup. I mean, you enjoyed watching him more than if you had eaten it yourself. And afterwards, that full, satisfying feeling that comes from eating the meat. It's pleasurable until you stand on the scales the next day. And then you say, why did I do that? You know, but you don't think about that at the restaurant. Because it's a happy place with lots of laughter. Because with meat, it's all about two pleasures. The first pleasure is the process of it all, the selecting, the preparing, and the eating of it. And the second pleasure afterwards is all about that full, satisfying feeling. Now, I don't know, maybe, I'm going to try to figure out how you're looking at me, you know. <laughs> Are you into the meat? <laughs> maybe, okay. Maybe you're not into meat, and that's okay, you know. Like the lady I met at the desert, she, you know, she said, I don't eat meat. Okay. So just think about the concept of the two pleasures, The first pleasure of doing something that makes you really happy, the process. And the second pleasure, after you've done it, of giving that feeling of fulfillment and satisfaction. Now, whatever gives you those two pleasures of the doing and the after feeling, that's your meat. So the question is, what is your meat in life? What's your meat? You know, you might say T-bone or New York or anyway. But I'm asking you, what is the meat 
in your life. And when I ask the question, what's the meat in your life, I'm asking you, what is it that you enjoy doing and that brings you a feeling of great satisfaction and fulfillment after you've done it? That's your meat. And what is the meat in your life? What do you enjoy doing after you've done it? It makes you really happy. What's your meat? You can say, my meat is, well, it's interesting, because the Lord Jesus Christ said what his meat was. And you might want to turn to that. In John 4.34, John 4.34, us carnivores completely identify with this statement. When he says in John 4.34, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's what he said in John 4.34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now notice in that verse how he spoke of the first pleasure, which was, as we said about the meat, the process of it all when he spoke of his meat. The first pleasure for him was like the process of the meat, the selecting, the preparing, the eating. That was the first pleasure. That was the process of it all. And the Lord Jesus Christ said that first, his pleasure he described as, my meat is to do. That's the process. To do the will of him that sent me. He loved the process. He enjoyed the process. And then notice how he spoke of the second pleasure, which is like after having eaten some great meat, it's that second pleasure, which is the great feeling of being full and satisfied. And for the Lord Jesus Christ, he describes the second pleasure in that verse is, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And here's the second pleasure. And to finish his work. That's the second pleasure. And to finish his work. That's the second pleasure, to finish his work. That was his meat with its two pleasures of the great feeling with the process and the great feeling after it was done. And notice how his meat was unknown to his disciples. You look up a couple verses and he says in John 4.32, But he said unto them, I have meat that ye know not of. We have a mission center, a mission home in Buenos Aires, in Argentina. And in this place, it has a basement and two floors. And on the top there is a rooftop patio, sort of. And it's a grill patio. <laughs> the center of the side there is this big grill, like I told you, the kind that cranks up and down that they had in Mexico City. Because in Argentina, meat is very important. That's where I should really be. I don't know why I'm here. But anyway, somehow I get stuck near Whole Foods. But All right, so it's a great place, you know. And in Argentina, when you serve a great meat, they don't ask you, how did you cook it? How did you prepare it? They really ask you one question in Argentina. You know what that is? Where did you get that meat? <laughs> That's all they want to know. Where did you get that meat? Because they understand in Argentina that you can't take a bad piece of meat and make it good. So you've got to start with good material. So in John 4.32, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, I have meat that you know not of, If he had said that in Argentina, they would have become very hungry to find out where did you get that meat? Where is that meat? But he didn't tell them that with the intention that they should never know. He told them that with the intention to make them hungry to know. So if you said that, like I said, if you said that in Argentina, I meet that you know not of, everybody would say, where, 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 what is it? Where did you get it? He wanted them to find that meat and develop a taste for that meat and have those, and then acquire or gain those two pleasures that he had, which was first, the excitement of the process, the excitement of the pleasure of the process, 
preparing eating the meat, and second, the satisfying pleasure afterwards of having done it. So he told them in verse 32, he told them that in verse 32 so that they would develop a taste. They would want this new meat. And in developing a taste, that they should become so that this becomes pleasurable to them. He wants to do that for them. The first pleasure, the excitement of doing. The second pleasure of the fulfillment and satisfaction of having completed it. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do exactly the same thing. He wants us to develop the taste for this new meat that we are not naturally accustomed to seeing this as meat. That's why he says, I have meat that you know not of. But he wants us to find, and he's actually giving the implicit promise, if you develop a taste for this meat, you'll develop the two pleasures as well in the process of doing and in the pleasure of the satisfaction of having done it, completing. So the great question is, what's the unknown meat? What is he talking about that he wants us to find, that he wants us to develop these two pleasures of process and completing? The unknown meat is the whole chapter of John 4. It's all about the process of bringing an immoral, impure, sinful, soul-thirsty woman to himself as the fountain of living waters. And the unknown meat has the first pleasure of the whole process. The whole process of it all, of introducing this soul-thirsty woman to the soul-quenching water of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unknown meat has the second pleasure of seeing the soul-thirsty woman drink the soul-quenching water and come from death to life. And that's the unknown meat that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to have. And so, because he wants us to be able to confess from our souls. You can tell that when I was describing to you about meat, I'm not giving you a sterile description. I'm confessing from my soul how much I like meat, you know. But he, in the same way, he wants us to be able to confess in that way from our souls that it's really true of us. And that we can really say it and mean those words. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And notice the first pleasure of his meat really describes the excitement of the process which is described. And we look at these verses which describe the process in John chapter 4, which is all about the pleasure of doing the will of him that sent me. And as we look at these verses about him doing it, we think of the pleasures, the process, I guess, describing to it, the Rincon Steakhouse in Mexico City, the selection, the preparation, all about the anticipation, Don Hammond with the prime rib and so forth, actual eating of it, all of that, the anticipation, how the meat's going to come out, is a great pleasure, great pleasure in the process. And now think of the great pleasure of the process, like meat, of doing the will of him that sent me, that we see in this chapter. And look at John 4, verse 7, where you can see the excitement of it and the pleasure when it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So right away this woman comes and he's right on the spot. He says, Give me to drink. He's excited about this as he can feel the pleasure. He says, Give me to drink. We can see him taking great pleasure in the process. It's begun when he says, Give me to drink. The process begun. And with this process, the excitement of the process, he's got purpose. He's got intention. He's going to bring this soul thirsty woman out of death to life. And it's exciting. And then in verse 10, when Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest, if thou knewest, just imagine how he might have said it. If thou knewest the gift of God 
And who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink? Thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. You see what he's doing there? It's like fishing. You know, he's like drawing the fish in, you know. <laughs> and I say, like, if you only knew. You know, <laughs> it's like you said to the disciples, I have meat you don't know of. It's like you say that in Argentina, I have meat you don't know about. You'll drive people crazy. So he's driving her crazy. That's the process. It's enjoyable to him. And he says, if thou knewest the gift of God, And we see him taking great pleasure in the process of introducing to this soul-thirsty woman that there is a great gift for her. There's an unknown gift for her. And then when he says, if thou knewest who, and we can see him again, he's really enjoying this with the great process and the pleasure in this process of opening the eyes of this soul-thirsty woman, that he's God, he's the Messiah, sent to bring her out of darkness into light. And then when he said, thou wouldest, thou wouldest, if you only knew, you would ask of him. And you know what? He would give you that living water. If you ask, you won't be disappointed. See, it's a great process here. It's a great pleasure that he's taking in the process of leading this woman to understand that she must use her free will to ask. And we see him taking great pleasure in telling her that. We see him taking great pleasure in the process of promising her the mitzah, promise that God will be found. From those words in Jeremiah, he was saying essentially to her, if you shall seek me and you shall seek me, and mitzah, find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. It's got a great pleasure in repackaging it, saying it to her, listening. There's a process. Watching what she's doing, listening to what she's saying, repackaging the truth like a tailor. Tom, we've been studying how Hagar was not treated well by Abraham. She was sent away to the desert to die, really, and was weak and near death. Although she was not his wife, we're told in the New Testament that we are to give honor to our wives as the weaker vessels in 1 Peter 3.7. So what does it mean to give honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel? I'm glad you asked that question because on the surface, it looks like as, as husbands that we're to look at our wives and say, well, you know, you're weak. And so uh, I'm so sorry that, uh, you know, you're, you're a woman and you're weak. And, and so, uh, you know, here, let me open the door for you because you're too weak to open the door. And uh, let me do this for you because you're weak and, and, and treat him like an invalid or something like that. And that's not at all what it means. It's a very precious and very wonderful statement there in First Peter 3, 7 that we as men really need to grab a hold of and to understand what this is actually saying because we need our wives. Why? Because the Bible makes it very clear that the tendency of the human heart and especially of men is for us to see ourselves as strong and mighty. We see ourselves, this is our disease of our heart, as men, we see ourselves like it says in Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's the problem. That's a disease of our heart. We see ourselves as strong. Men, we see ourselves as strong. But God says, and no, it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold and tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich, white raiment, thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with thy thyself, thou mayest see. See, we have this disease. 
We are men. We don't ask for directions to get someplace when we know we're lost, even though our wives saying, I think we're lost. And we as men, we say, no, I know. I'm strong. I'm, I don't get lost. But we need our wives. Why? Because God says that it's a great blessing to know when you're weak. That's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We could also put it this way. When I know I'm weak, then I can become strong, strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wife is the first one in the two of the husband and wife who realizes that she's weak. And so therefore she goes to the place of strength. And that's what we need as our husbands, give honor and to say to what do you think? And the wife will say, I think we're in trouble and we need to get on our knees and pray and find the strength of God. This is a wonderful picture that we have of Joseph in the blessing that uh, Jacob was giving to his sons. He comes one to the other, but when he comes in Genesis 49, his last words before he dies, and he comes to Joseph as one of his sons, and he describes him with these wonderful words in Genesis 49, 22 to 24. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. See, he's fruitful. Even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Now, we ask the question, why is Joseph so fruitful? Because he describes him here. And here it says in verse 23, the archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. But in verse 24, but his bow abode in strength. See, strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Because Joseph was shot at, because he was sorely grieved, because his brethren hated him, because he found himself in a prison where his feet was hurt with the fetters, as it says in Psalms, where he was absolutely helpless and weak in that prison, and he knew he was helpless and weak. Therefore, he became strong because his arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. It's a precious, precious picture that we have there. There's the little fellow. He's got a big bow, and it's too big for him. The bow is taller than him, and he stands up, and he can't pull that bow back by himself, and much less aim it and fire it. So what we see the picture there, it says the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. There's the mighty God of Jacob coming over the little fella Joseph there and says, don't worry, little fella. And the arms come around him and he takes one hand over the hand of Joseph and the mighty God of Jacob takes the other hand of Joseph. And he says, don't worry, little fella. Together we're going to do this. And the mighty God of Jacob, his mighty hands pull back and Joseph's hands are underneath those hands and they pull back with the strength of God, and he aims it, and he's able to fire it. Why? Because the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. That only came because Joseph knew he was weak. We have men in our marriages, a wonderful partner, 
and she knows she's weak, and we got to give honor to her as unto the weaker vessel because she can help us to know our own weakness. She can help us to say, let's pray. She can help us to go to God. She can help us so that the arms of our hands will be made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. That's our wives. That's how we give honor to them as unto the weaker vessel. They help us to know when we think we're strong, we're not strong, and they know that we're weak and that we must go to God for help. That's how we give honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor in the Friendship with God radio program today. Now remember, all of our messages are available at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes for free downloading. Now with your iPhone and iPad or Android or smart device, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org on our website and learn information on how to add the Friendship with God podcast on your smart device all for free. That's friendshipwithgod.org and download the Friendship with God podcast application there for you to listen to all of the Friendship with God messages on your iPad, smartphone, or other device. Now you can also sign up at friendshipwithgod.org for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's a short little devotional based off one verse and just a few comments from Tom Cantor. It's encouraging, can come to your phone or to your email. So sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Tom Cantor, Friendship with God, or Israel Restoration Ministries. And there you can receive through Facebook the daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor as well. Now, we'd also like to encourage you to donate at friendshipwithgod.org to continue this program on your radio station, friendshipwithgod.org. Now, to encourage you to donate, we're offering our resource of the month for a $20 or more donation. We'll send you Tom Cantor's Passover DVD teaching, a two-disc DVD production on the personal relevance of the Passover. So call us today for a $20 or more donation. We'll send you this powerful DVD teaching from Tom Cantor, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org to our online bookstore or again 1-800-247-3051 Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.